Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. What's up, bingers? I am back from an amazing trip to Austin, Texas. CrimeCon was absolutely a blast this year, and keep your ears open for our upcoming Live from CrimeCon episodes. I hosted the binge in front of a live audience for the first time, and we recorded a couple of great shows that I'll be releasing in the next few weeks. And today, I've got another great show for you. My guest today worked in commercial real estate for most of her adult life. Then, one day she was called to perform her civic duty, which led her to create her fantastic podcast, Murderish. Please welcome Jamie Rice. The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. Hi, by the way. Oh, hello. I have to say right off the bat that I'm a little jealous because you are on the West Coast. So it's what, eight o'clock in the morning there? It's eight o'clock in the morning. Just had my coffee and looks like it's going to be a sunny day. I'm, I'm a little irritated by the fact that it's 11 here. I've been up for hours and I look like I just rolled out of bed and it's eight in the morning there. And you look just, just like you're ready to start your day. Just all ready to go. Looking great. Yeah. Well, thank you. But to be fair, I have to do a quick um, YouTube video after this so that for my virtual booth at CrimeCon, I have like an, an away video. So when people visit my booth virtually, they can see my message and say, hey, I'll be right back. So I did my makeup and hair only for that. Otherwise, I'm going to the pool after this. So I wouldn't have done makeup. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what? Uh, here's some fun on it. By the way, uh, those of you listening to this, this will be aired sometime after CrimeCon, but we're recording this like three days before we leave for CrimeCon, or at least before yes. I'm leaving Thursday morning. Me too. Um, it's Memorial Day. We should be barbecuing and not working. Um, I know. But uh, I will be soon. I will be soon. Good for you. And where are you, by the way? I'm in Michigan. Oh, you're in Michigan. For some reason, I had you like in Texas or something. I don't know why. Well, I spend m- the majority of my time in Texas because I work on wrongful convictions. And for some reason, I can't get out of every... I get I get hundreds of, of case submissions every month and we sort through them. And every time we narrow down to the one that seems like the most egregious wrongful conviction and they're always in Texas. What? So I, That's a whole nother conversation, but uh, <laughs> right. yes. I, I, I mean, I've heard so many podcasts for the wrongfully convicted and you're right. There are, there's a pattern. Texas. Yeah. And I, I wonder if some of it is because it doesn't seem to be the case with it for me, but I wonder if some of it is because of their open records laws. It's pretty easy to get documented as opposed to like, like Maryland, um, like sure. Adnan's case in Baltimore, like they're they're awful to try to get materials from, um, case materials. But yeah, I keep going back there through my screening process. Like the number one thing when we start going through, usually on Wednesdays, I have Mike and Zach in the office here with me, and then we do our fo- our follow up recording for Truth and Justice, and we spend like an hour of that day all sorting through mail and going through case right. submissions. And the number one thing is like find one some like find one in Colorado, find something in. 
California, somewhere. And you're so right, because now that I think about it, I mean, I've listened to so many true crime podcasts, and a lot of them are wrongful convictions. It's like you really don't hear California or Colorado, like you said. It's Texas, and um, there's one other state that always pops up. I want to say it's one of the southern states, but yeah, Texas pops up a lot for some reason. Yeah. And and there's certainly wrongful convictions that happen there, but it's tough to find them for life. Like, for example, I just had, I I met up with, so uh, Ashley Flowers happens to be from my area. Right. And was in town a few weeks ago, and I met her for drinks. The first time I ever met her, but she was like, hey, there's this case that you should take a look at that somebody submitted to me. A wrongful conviction and it's out of California and I looked at it and it's like it, it's certainly a wrongful conviction but it's not what I it, it, they know who actually did it already and I see sort of the, there's like technicalities more of like an undisclosed thing so I'm throwing it to them got it I try to investigate okay where where you they were wrongfully convicted but there's not another identified suspect and you're trying to find that other exactly suspect yeah. okay got what it what they're looking at is more like procedural stuff which is like the undisclosed team it's like that's what they do i don't they I'm are so good at that i know it I know. takes the, the a way, certain like susan. yes susan exactly i mean it takes a yeah. certain kind of brain to review information like she does because so many of us just kind of like glaze over it and just like on to the next thing but she zeroes in on the tiniest thing and 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 in adnan's case happens to be not so tiny. It's a tiny detail to most people, right. but you know, it's actually to his case is a very big detail. Like the incoming calls, you know, and and things like that. So Yeah, and there's such a, a the the team together, like you've got it just it's just they're a great mix. They are. Uh but what I was going to ask you about as which which would seem like an off-air conversation, but we're here, so uh you're talking about the 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 virtual crime con. I yes. haven't done it like through the mass of emails I've gotten, they're like set up yeah. Opt in for virtual. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. I know. So what is it? So I don't think that I'm doing it, but I don't like, what is the virtual crime con? What will people be watching with you? Well, the interest. So the only I've done virtual crime con one time, and that's when we were all supposed to be in Florida. It got canceled due to COVID. Right. So the event was totally virtual. So I, that was my first time doing like the hop in software, which allows us creators to have a virtual booth. So it actually was pretty user-friendly. I was a little overwhelmed in the beginning, getting my booth set up and all the techie stuff. It's not my forte. I am not a millennial. Uh, So my kids have to help me with everything. But I was able to do it and people were able to kind of hop in to my booth virtually. And I talked to listeners. I talked to other podcasters. I would hop into their booth. Hey, guys, how's it going? And you'd see everybody on the screen and we'd all have a chat. With this one, I'm going to be at CrimeCon like you are in person. So I'll be on Podcast Row like I always have been in person. But now there's going to be, in addition to that, a virtual element. And to be honest with you, I've never, I don't know. Like, I don't know. In my mind, I picture some sort of screen in front of our booth, a computer or, you know, because how else or a camera at the very least. But, you know, I want to, I guess I need to be able to see people or, who are attending virtually. While I'm standing there at my booth live, right. That's the part that that's the part that I didn't get was like so. I don't does either. That just mean there's a camera because I mean you've been have you been to CrimeCon in person I have. before? Yes. Yeah. So so there's like a never ending line of people. Yes. Like in front of you. So I don't right. know how you get to interact. So it'll be inter- I'm, by the time this airs, people will know how it worked out. But I'm just curious, like how it's gonna shake out because I can't see. Unfortunately for me, Friday, I'm so packed. We'll be, you and I are doing uh, an event together yes, on Friday. The trivia. Yeah. 
yeah, up the trivia, and I have um, a couple live true crime binges, and I have I'm doing a, a panel with Sarah Turney. Um, so I won't nice. be in Podcast Row most of the day Friday because I'll be, mm-hmm. you know, doing other stuff. And so I just was like, in, in the midst of all that and all the scheduling, they send me this email like, "Do you want to opt into Bro?" I'm like, I don't know what that even means. So. I yeah. know it, you and me both. So I, you know, I've been like, okay, I guess I'll just like, I want to picture it in my head. I'm kind of a control freak. So I'm kind of like, oh, tell me what it looks like. How's it going to work? But I know once I show up, they'll have it all figured out and I'm sure they'll walk me through it. And the thing is, none of us have attended CrimeCon right coming off of a pandemic. So I, well, right. number one, like you said, there's usually a ton of people just flooding the podcast row booth and you're just trying to say hi and give everybody a few minutes and talk to a few people, you know, talk to everybody. But I think there's going to be less people there due to COVID. So maybe like the lines won't be as long, you know, to talk to creators. And so we'll be able to have a little more time to do both the virtual aspect as well as the live aspect. But to me, I really don't know. I get it's just like a wait and see. Yeah, that's I was picturing like people having a camera watching me talk to other people. Yes, which is weird. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll, we'll see how all that shakes out. Yeah. But Jamie, I want to I want to get to get to know you a little bit. This is so we we met through Rebecca um, yes. virtually. It's the first time I'm seeing your face. Um, that again looks much better than mine, uh, <laughs> even though you've been up for less time than I have. Um, I I was I had a very busy morning. I was uh in I read in your bio that you uh, you and your husband own a landscaping business. We do, yeah, yeah. Uh, landscape construction. Yeah. Do you guys uh, do you guys travel uh, to Michigan to do? Any- <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I wish. I wish we could break out, but no. We are just in the L.A. area, and so we just kind of make over people's outdoor space, which is very popular in a place like California. You know, because right. your outdoor space is basically basically like extended square footage of your home. You know, we spend so much time out there. But I would love to come and make over your, your yard. Maybe we'll make a special trip. Oh, it would. <laughs> My yard, right? So I, I am, I'm, I'm like the lawn guy. My wife gives me shit all the time because I'm like <laughs> on my lawn. Everything's perfect. The landscaping's perfect. Oh, I love and that. My yard, my yard looks like an abortion right now. Um, <laughs> it's because it's so bad. It's so bad, and I'm dying inside. So last fall, we built. Uh, I built a. I have a. I have a pretty decent sized chunk of property. I live out in the sticks. I cool. put in a new like pole barn. Which they had to raise the elevation up, which means I have dirt for a hundred feet all the way around it when they were sloping it back down for right, the final grade. Right. And this summer, our project is we're extending our deck because our house had like a little, little bitty twelve by twelve deck, and we're putting right. in, like, we're making it like a thousand square. It's like fifty. Oh, that'll feet be by so nice. 20. It's huge deck. Uh, so we're putting this deck on. Uh, and so that's all tore up underneath that. And so there's just like dirt and piles and concrete and, and I'm losing my mind. Yes. That would make me lose my mind too. Yeah. So my project for the rest of the day today is to, uh, I'm finally seeding. I finally got my sprinklers redone and I'm reseeding around the big area around the barn. But cool. in wh- while I was out getting my, my trailer to go pick up the cedar, uh, my dogs found a a rabbit nest, a baby bunny nest. Oh, it's but was so, it good it, or bad? Did did they find it in a good way, or does this end badly? Uh, well, I think it ends okay. Uh, okay, so, good. So good. Luckily, it was. I have two German shepherds. My big German. I do shepherd, too. Shepherd Ruger. I was yes. going to ask. I saw that you have two dogs. You have both shepherds. What are their names? I, one of them's a hus- a husky shepherd named Tala. She's fifteen. She's our old lady. Oh, and wow. then we have Shadow, who's the love of my life. He's four years old, and he's full German shepherd. I, I'm obsessed. I'm sure you are too. 
Oh, my first dog growing up as a kid was a shepherd husky mix named Jugs. <gasps> oh. Um, his name was Jugs because we found him. <laughs> Did he have big Jugs? <laughs> so weird. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we were. We were driving down the road and like I still I can still remember I was like four years old. I still remember my dad like slamming on the brakes and jumping out and running out into this like cornfield in the middle. Yeah. Like, what? And he comes running back with this puppy. And it was it was out in the middle of nowhere and there was this puppy with German Shepherd Husky mix. You know how adorable that is. And it had its head in this it, it, it was like an old like mayonnaise jar from like a restaurant. Oh like a, was like it a stuck? Jug. Yeah. Yeah. And he had like stuffed his head in there. And so my dad looked and saw this little puppy rolling around with its head in a jug. And so he goes and pulls its head out. And then, and then we took it home and you know, there was no internet back then. So it wasn't like you could just post, I found this dog. So he just became our dog and we named him Jughead. That is so cute. Yeah. And he lived to like 16. He was, we had 16 years. Yeah. And I've had German shepherds ever since, but it's funny. I I love those dogs, but. I absolutely, we're obsessed. There, he's such a good boy. My two, my younger, the younger one, the smaller one, Titus, um, he's more of a hunter. Ruger is our older one. He's not eight and he's 120 pounds. He's a big, big boy. Oh, wow. But he is, he's like, he loves, he's like, a, he's like the mom. Like if, if people bring over like a chihuahua or something, he loves, yeah. he loves to play with little ones. Oh. And this morning I see him walking with a tiny baby, eyes not open yet, bunny. Like fuzzy still, like like the oh. hair is growing in, but no. And he's like carrying it in his mouth and he's dropping it. And he's trying to be as gentle as he can. Oh my gosh, what a sweetheart. Because he wants to play with the bunny. But the bunny obviously does not want to play. So Bunny's I like, I am not ready for this. That Yeah, German sh- our German Shepherd Shadow, he's a patrolman. So when the kids are running around in the backyard, he gets super anxious. And like, especially mm-hmm. if they're in the pool splashing water everywhere. He just does circles around the pool all day long until his paws bleed because he wants to patrol and control the situation and everybody's right. splashing and screaming. And But he is a gentle giant. He's probably about 90 pounds. He's a big boy. And he scares the shit out of every FedEx, Amazon <laughs> delivery guy, you know, because his Same. bark is, oh my God, and the hair stands up. But as soon as he sees you, he's just like trying to lick everybody and yep. super docile. I think that we always wonder, like, if a bad guy broke in, I think he would do his job because he is very protective and he's always on high alert when a stranger comes in. Uh, but once he senses their energy and knows they're not a bad guy, he's just all licks and kisses, you know. But yeah. I-, I think he would do his job if if somebody tried to attack us. Yeah, we have the same conversation all the time because ours the same way. So Titus is our protector, the, the little one. Uh, and he's about 80 pounds, but compared to the other one, he's yeah. uh, compared to Ruger, but he is, yeah. But like if I'm on a lawnmower or out on the side by side out in the yard or something, he is off his rocker. Oh like, yeah. That following, probably... he thinks, he thinks it's hurting me and yep. he's trying to bite it and it's terrible. That's shadow with the vacuum. Yeah. So luckily Titus wasn't the one that found the rabbits because he would have just eaten them. Yeah. But Ruger wanted to play, but then, so our dogs have a dog door where they could go out and run anytime they want to. I spent the next hour trying to figure out how do I make it so that the dogs can't get the bunnies, but the mom can get to the bunnies. So I ended right. up taking a landscaping trailer and parking it over the top of the of the nest. Oh, because oh, that was that thing. So once I found the baby bunny and I'm holding it, and then I see another one that he had been playing with as well. Right. And then I I finally see there's the little nest. Have you ever seen a baby rabbit nest? No. They, they just dig like a little bitty hole oh. and then. There'll be like 10 babies in there piled up. And then the mom just like puts like 
her own hair and and grass over the top of it. Oh, wow. Okay. So when you live out in the country like me, you got to be very careful mowing this time of year because those little baby bunny nests are everywhere. But yeah, so like I put them back in there and then parked the trailer over the top of it so the dogs can't get Good. to it. Oh. But the mom can. So now with my, so OCD, sweet. my OCD <laughs> self is looking into my already fucked up backyard. <laughs> now I've got a 14-foot trailer just parked in the middle and of the mind, yard. And you're, you're just like, oh my God, I need a beer, dude. This is killing me. I got to get the hell out of here. I'm going to Texas. I'm getting the hell out of here. Yes. I can't take it. And I'm hoping that when I come back, my grass will have started growing. Yeah, The bunnies will be out and gone. Yeah, and then <laughs> you can, can live your life back. and calm down. Oh, that is crazy. But you know, yeah, I totally understand you. I think we kind of have the same brain that way. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not diagnosed OCD, but definitely in my house, even if there's dishes in the sink, they have to be an organized, you know, like they, mm-hmm. they can't just be all over the sink and unrinsed. They have to be rinsed, placed over to the right so that there's an open space. I like my toilet paper with the flap on top, not the bottom. <laughs> my husband's like, you are crazy. And I probably am. We are very similar. And I am. Di- I have papers. I'm diagnosed OCD. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you, yeah. So you, you definitely are. Yeah. Yeah. As I say, I've got the papers. I'm crazy. But mine are, uh, I have a weird form of it where it's not like, it's not like the, you know, people think of like as good as it gets. Like I have to turn the locks three times. It's not stuff like that. I have this gotcha. weird pro- projection thing. Or whatever's happening right now, I can never just like live in the moment. I'm like, wait, so if this happens, it's going to cause this to happen and this to happen and this to happen. And then that and then that and then that's going to be a problem. So now I'm stressed out. I gotcha. Oh, my gosh. Not living in the moment, like already projecting what it, what issue is going to arise next. Yeah. Like when Drive they're building this crazy. deck out there and st- instead of being like, wow, this is going to be awesome. What a beautiful deck. I'm like, oh, my fucking landscaping is a mess. I'm going to have to get rocks. <laughs> I'm going to have to rent a skid steer. I'm going to have to have people. Yeah. It, it, well, it it is overwhelming. Any kind of project, whether it's outdoor, we just uh, bought a house a year ago and just gutted it and started over. And mm-hmm. so we were under construction during COVID, which was extremely stressful. And we didn't have the option to stop because we had no, ki- we had no plumbing at some point and no kitchen. No, right. you know, one of our bathrooms was at two of our bathrooms are out. So it's like we had to push forward so we could have a place to live that functioned. Mm-hmm. We have kids. So it was really stressful. But I mean, it's overwhelming. And I get like that too. I get so worked up that I want to focus on this one area, let's say the kitchen. But my mind sees all my eyes see all the chaos around me, the torn up bathroom, the fucked up backyard, the this, the that, that I can't just like center myself and go, okay, Jamie, let's get this kitchen done. And then we'll move on because of all the chaos around me just stops me from being able to focus. Samesies. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. That's why <laughs> so, I drink, Jamie. That's good exactly for you. What doing Which what well, you say you're gonna drink, but I just heard you say you're working this morning, obviously, right now, and then you said right. you have a project outdoors. So where is the drinking coming in on Memorial Day for you? Uh, w- well, so first of all, the project is gonna involve drinking. So I'm I'm oh, good uh, for you. There you go. My 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 motto in life is is life is all about cheap beer and expensive bourbon. Uh, oh, there so, you go. So the cheap beer will be the 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 bush lights that I'll have drinking that I'll be drinking <laughs> while I'm spreading seed throughout the <laughs> the yard. Yes. And then uh, and then I'm going over to my folks for a barbecue this evening. And then when I get home, I might settle in for a nice glass of maybe some Angel's Envy or some Woodford Reserve, a nice bourbon to to settle out my evening. Okay, that see now that sounds good. And you sound a lot like my husband. He drinks Bud Light. He's that guy that walks around in a wife beater. You know, hosing off the lawn, doing little projects, but he always has a Bud yes. Light in his hand. But when he settles in, he likes a good whiskey. 
Yeah. I'll see. Perfect. So, like we yeah. would get along just fine. And you, what's oh, yeah. your drink of choice? So I am a tequila girl, but I like good tequila. Not not mm-hmm. super bougie. Like what's that? 1942. Like I don't really drink that, but I really do love um, a Casamigos Reposado. I'm that basic mm-hmm. bitch. <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like all the basic bitches, that's what they drink, but it is right. really good tequila in my opinion. Like you can just drink it straight and it's so smooth. Um, so I'm a tequila girl, but I do love a good beer. It's just that like the calories and the bloat is very real. So I right. try to stay away from beer, but I do definitely enjoy a good beer. Usually just drink like 805 or something like that. You know, I just discovered a beer from California. So I was, oddly, I was in Montana uh, on a backpacking trip. And when we, we got snowed out one day and ended up in downtown Missoula a day early before our flight. And discovered a beer that I thought was a Montana beer, but it turns out it's a California beer called Mango Cart. Are you familiar with it? Oh, no, but it sounds good because I love mango. Oh, Golden Something Brewery. It's a California Golden beer. Road? Is it Golden yes. Road Brewery? Yes, yes. Okay, Golden so. Road Brewery is in the San Fernando Valley, I want to say, here in LA. Uh-huh. So, And it's a really cool brewery. In fact, we had a true crime event there. I think we've had two true crime events there because they have this like back area where it's like a bar. Um, mm-hmm. They have seating there. They have like an upper deck and there's been some, yes, yeah, so we've had like some get togethers there in the true crime community. It's a really cool brewery. Cool. Well, you, well, if you haven't tried it, the mango cart is, I have, it's probably got a ton of calories because it's, it's kind of sweet, but it was like the, the best beer for, so we end up, we're supposed to be camping in out in the mountains for, and then come Back into town like the last day, get a quick shower, and then hit the airplane uh, airport. But a blizzard came in, so we had this whole day, and then we end up at like 11 in the morning sitting at a bar on nice. a day where there's four guys who <laughs> don't like shouldn't be in a, in, a, in a bar all day. It's like it's amazing yeah. we didn't end up in jail. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So we gra- I was like, oh, I'll try this mango cart, and it was like, it's 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 delicious. It's only four percent alcohol, which for any of you experienced day drinkers, that's a plus. You don't want to be drinking some IPA that's eight percent alcohol don't do at it. eleven in the morning. You'll never make no, it. You won't last. But the the mango cart, and they have like, uh, I think they have they have like watermelon cart and pineapple cart, and I don't know. But the mango cart, solid one one worth checking out. Yes, I will definitely check it out. So tell me a little bit about your your podcast. So so I read that you. That you were a foreman on a jury of a murder trial. I was. And then after that, you decided to start this this true crime podcast. Like, yes. Like, was, it, was it just like out of the blue, like that, that experience made you think of it? Or had you been thinking about it beforehand? How did you end up going from working in real estate to true crime podcaster? Yeah. So I was working in commercial real estate finance for 18 years. Three, year go- three years ago, I left that. And now I'm full-time working with my husband in our landscape construction business. But um, before I left my corporate gig, I- I've always been into true crime content. So ever since I was like a preteen, I would watch you know court TV with my mom. I would read books about serial killers and track certain cases. So I've always had an interest in it. And then Eight years ago, I was working at a financial institution in Beverly Hills, and I live in an area of LA where driving to Beverly Hills is the shittiest commute you could ever imagine. I mean, it was awful. And so I would come into work complaining every day, oh my God, my commute sucks. Long story short, my friend's like, well, have you heard of podcasts? And I'm like, what the hell is a podcast? So he turned me on to podcasts, and it was literally a game changer. I mean, as you, I'm sure you probably had the 
same experience. Once you start right. listening, you're like, holy shit, where has this been my whole life? I was completely obsessed. Um, of course, Serial was my first podcast. So, mm-hmm. You know, so cliche, but it was, and it was so riveting. Um, and it changed my world as far as my commute. I mean, now my commute was enjoyable. So I've always been into true crime. I had been listening to podcasts leading up to starting my own. And before being chosen to be on a jury for that first degree murder trial, I had been already researching how to start a podcast. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. I had already been kind of going to the school of YouTube and the school of Google and just like, no, I didn't know anybody who was a podcaster. So it was just like YouTubing the shit out of it and Figuring right. it out. Um, but then I would, you know, then I was on that jury. It was a two week trial and, um, it, I wanted to tell that story. It was fascinating and I wanted to get the victim's name out there because it was not like a widely publicized case. It was just a local case here in LA. And so that really, I would say I was already researching how to launch a podcast. And then that experience was like, okay, this is it. I'm doing it. And that was really the catalyst to me launching Murderish. Oh, that's awesome. So was the what was the final verdict in that case? We convicted him and uh, the judge sentenced him to 27 years to life, first degree murder. Wow. Can you share any of the details of the case? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was out the, the murder happened out here in Santa Clarita where I live. Um, and it was a 51-year-old male, Rob Arvizu, and a 25-year-old woman named Courtney Arvizu. They had met uh, here in Santa Clarita. They just got into a very quick relationship. They got married very fast. And um, they were married within, I want to say, three months of knowing each other. So they met each other, got married three months later. She had no idea that this man had a very dangerous past. He was uh, an abuser of women, a heavy drug user. By the time he met her, I think he was sober, but he had a very sordid past with drugs. But more specific, more dangerously, he was an abuser of women, and she had no idea. Um, their relationship was very volatile. Um, they got married and on their wedding night, he beat her so badly that she strangled her. She had petechia in her eyes when the police showed up. This is all documented. She stayed with him as many women do. And uh, he, uh, two months later, she was dead. And really, so they only knew each other five months from the time they met to the time she was murdered. It was only a five month span. Uh, They went to a party in the San Fernando Valley together for one of their good friends. They got into a heated argument. Uh, Courtney left on foot uh, with no keys, no cell phone, wandering around the the San Fernando Valley. To make a long story very short, um, Courtney ended up back at their shared apartment and she rushed upstairs. She got her keys. She had her little dog in her hand. She had a really quick a uh, bed, bath, and beyond uh, bag in her hand. Like she literally just uh, threw some stuff in to stay overnight at her mom's house to get away from her husband because he had been, they had gotten into a huge argument. And unfortunately, due to some really just unfortunate circumstances, Rob found out that she was at the apartment. He rushed over. Uh, he went upstairs and he immediately 
punched her. Uh, We believe, we don't know for sure, but we believe that he rendered her unconscious. She fell face down on the floor. He then proceeded to get on top of her and, and push, put so much pressure on the back of her head into the carpet that he smothered her to death and she lost her, her airway. So that's where we got first degree murder is that he punched her. I mean, her face was unrecognizable in the photos. There was no part of her skin that was showing because it was just a bloody face. Uh, he, he had broken her nose. She had a huge cut here, a huge. So he had beaten her severely. And we believe she was rendered unconscious. So she's not a threat to him at that point. She's literally, and by the way, she's all of five foot one, 115 pounds. He's a six foot tall, big guy. She was no match for him. And she, here she is laying on the ground. And even if she wasn't unconscious, she's zero threat to him. And he decided to take that second step of getting on top of her and putting so much pressure to cut off her airway. And they had a medical expert testify that it would take roughly 30 seconds for her to lose consciousness from him cutting off her airway from applying the pressure. And it would take another up to about three minutes. I would think he said two to three minutes for her to actually die as a result. That's first degree murder. That is you, you rendered her unconscious or you beat her. You took the second step. You had time to think about it. And premeditation doesn't have to happen. Everybody pictures premeditation as a month before the murder, they go to Walmart, they buy the kill kit, they, they lie in wait and they do all this planning. But premeditation can happen in a matter of seconds or minutes. And that was our decision is that he didn't have to get on top of her and smother her to death. And while he's putting that pressure, he kept doing it because he wanted her dead. That's where we got first degree murder. Yeah. And it, as, as soon as someone makes a decision that, you know what, I'm going to kill this person, even if it's two seconds before, that is premeditation, that that was the Absolutely. reason for it. And I was, as you were explaining that, as I was thinking through the, um, the timing of how all that would have shaken out, I was like, yeah, even if he didn't render her unconscious with, with fist, just the fact that once she blocked her airway, she would have passed out within 30 seconds and it takes another, you know, I, I, from, from my training, they always said like four to six minutes before brain death actually occurs right from, from lack of oxygen. So he's continuing to do this when she's completely unconscious. Yes. And that's a long time, as you know, sorry, but if you think about it, if it was two minutes or three minutes or four or up to six, as you said, that's a long time actually to apply that immense amount of pressure. So you're thinking, you have time to think and change right. your mind, and he didn't. Right. So what was the process like? Like, how did you become, because I, I, I've, I've sat on a couple of juries, and it's always an interesting process. Like, how did, how did you become the foreman? How did that happen? Well, I definitely like, you know, I'm like that most talkative in class. You know, I, I definitely, right. I, I do, if I form an opinion, I have no problem expressing it. I'm a very outgoing person. and. I just, you know, it was crazy. There was 12 of us jurors and it was like the right side of the table were pretty outspoken like I was. We all kind of were very similar, had no problem talking through it and saying, no, we believe this, you know, that based on the evidence, this, this, and this, the left side of the table, the other six were very quiet. And if mm-hmm. they had opinions, which we, they did, and they were able to share them, they had to be prompted to speak. And, um, so somebody had pointed at me and just said, well, do you want to be the foreman? You know, would you be comfortable? And I just said, yeah, I am. I'm very comfortable. And I, and I you know, it's not my job as the, as the foreman to be, to get everybody on my side. It's really your job as the foreman to allow everybody a chance to speak. 
and and make sure that it's fair and that these quiet people over here, especially, they speak up and give their opinion and they're not bullied by this these people who are very outspoken mm-hmm. into just believing what they believe. We all had to have a chance to speak. So uh, I did take that very seriously. And um, it was a very, I had a very good experience. We all, there was no crazy arguing. There were some disagreements. There was no crazy arguing. Everybody got, got a chance to speak and we really worked through the evidence and took our time. You know, I think it, we, it was about two and a half days to reach a decision. And I think that that's a decent amount of time for a two-week trial, you know, to really sit and think and make sure that we're making the right decision. Yeah. And you're as foreman are kind of playing referee at that, that scenario. Yeah. So were there people that were voting not guilty at the beginning that over time changed their mind or was there, was there just a lot of uncertainty over the two days? So nobody wanted to, everybody agreed right away that he is guilty of some level of murder. So we started with second degree. We all agreed, yes, based on this, this, and this, the judge's instructions, and based on the evidence that we saw and the witnesses, this is at least second degree murder. What took us a while, the the extra day and a half was like, can we get to first degree murder? And let's talk Mm -hmm. this through. And that's what took us so long. There was one gentleman who he kept saying, but but how is this premeditated? He just snapped. His emotions ran high and he, and he just snapped. And I said, but, you know, we all agreed that no, but just because Rob Arvizu, in his personality, he's the type of guy who goes way overboard when somebody pisses him off to the point where he's going to murder her. She did nothing to him to spark that level of emotion. She, he didn't, he didn't walk in her, in on her having sex with another man. Not that that's an excuse, but that's snapping, right? right. Like he, he, they were at a party and he starts screaming at her out of nowhere and she literally left to defuse the situation. So we said he doesn't get to set, not that the average everyday normal human being does not go and murder their wife because he gets pissed off at her at a party and they fight over who knows what, right? Right. So he he is a different kind of person, you know. Um, not everybody's like that. So we don't get to let him off the hook because oh, he just snapped. His emotions ran high. Well, they shouldn't have ran that high. She did nothing to make him uh, give him a reason to go and murder her. So we really, he was like, but I just, you know, he snapped. So I just don't know. And and everybody was like, no. He thought about it. He had already beat her severely. What his punches from the looks of it, I thought could have caused permanent brain damage if she had lived and he had not smothered her. And then he took the extra step. So we were able to talk it through and everybody agreed on that. And he ultimately was able to get on board and say, yes, I agree that that is premeditated. Nice. I'm curious, what was his defense? Was he claiming that he didn't do it or that it was an accident or self-defense? He said he got so drunk that he blacked out, which was not true. He did get drunk that night, but he did not get drunk until after he murdered her. He murdered her, left her on the floor, drove to a local bar called Mabel's. I've been to it many times. Nothing good happens at Mabel's. But he drove (laughs) to this bar and uh, it was nighttime, but um, he wasn't allowed in because he was acting strange or something. So he went back home. He went into the bathroom and drank a bunch of beer once he got back. And all the beer bottles were there, and then he laid down and went to sleep. And so by the time police came in, they found him. Um, but we knew that he was not wasted and drunk to the point where he blacked out and then killed her. We knew this because we have two, at least two witnesses who saw him and spoke with him just 
minutes or minutes before he murdered his wife. Uh, There were two people who spoke with him. We also saw that he drove his truck into the parking lot. He literally perfectly parked it in between the two white lines. It was like a perfect parking job. He was not blackout drunk. He murdered her. Then he went and drank up a whole bunch of beer. So he tried to say he blacked out and didn't remember. And we know that's not true. All right. Well, it sounds like you guys did a good job of, of getting it right. Well, I definitely stand by it. Thank you. I, I stand by it to this day. And I think he, he filed an appeal. He lost that appeal. Um, uh, the judge agreed. No, the, the, the jury got it right, which, which made me feel good. But I really stand by it. I, I have no regrets. And uh, we really did take our time with it. Because even though I knew based on the evidence, this guy is not a good guy. And what he did was awful. And he has a past. This is not just a one-off. He, he came so close to killing at least two other women who testified, and it was awful to hear their testimony. One of them, not one of them, but another one reached out to me recently. She did not um, testify, but she said, I just want to tell you my story. I want to stay completely anonymous, but I could have been killed by him as well. He's a very dangerous man. Um, but, but given even with all that, he's still a human being. And I did recognize that like, uh, the decision we're going to make could have severely affect his life, and we have to take it seriously. And we did, but I think we came to the right conclusion. Well, that's good. It's awesome that you took it so seriously. And like I said, I think you guys got it right um, from what you're telling me. So then you come out of that, and you decide you're going to go ahead and start this podcast. Uh, the podcast is called Murderish. Mm-hmm. Um, give us a quick breakdown of like what is... What is murderish as far as what is you know what can people expect from the podcast and how did you decide on the kind of format of it? So it, basically what you can expect with murderish it's a true crime podcast it is a new case every episode I do have a couple like two parters but for the most part it's a new case every episode I walk you through a case really from start to finish I try to give as much of a 3D look into the case as I can. So I always start off with the town. Where did it happen? Paint that picture. Um, I talk about the victim and the perp. Who were they? How did their worlds collide? How did they come to know each other if they did? What are the circumstances of, you know, how did the crime go down? What are the details of that? How did the investigation go down? How did they find, you know, the bad guy? Did they get the right bad guy? And then um, I walk you through the trial as much as I can. Um, and then the aftermath, if anything significant happened afterward, I always try to walk them through um, the aftermath as well. And um, your other question was... How did you decide on that how did I? Gotcha. Um, you know what? I, I was sort of like flying by the seat of my pants when I launched. I didn't know what the format was going to be, to be honest with you, when I started. I had two stories that I wanted to tell, which were really my own personal stories as my first two episodes, which was the one with the Arvizu murder. That was my very first episode where I sat on the jury. And I had a personal story where uh, a man saw me at the grocery store and I was 18 years old. And unbeknownst to me, he followed me home. And when I got home and walked into my room, he was in my bedroom. So oh that, yeah, that, ep- that episode did not end in murder. Thank goodness. I'm still here. <laughs> but that was um, my next episode. And then really beyond that, I then in my mind was like, well, you know what? I want to cover cases that I'm interested in, local cases that I knew about growing up and currently, but didn't know all the details. And I wanted to tell those stories. And I really wanted to focus mostly on stories that are not huge cases. I don't, I have never covered, you know, Ted Bundy, nothing against that. It is it, fascinating. 
Um, and I think that those victims' names need to be kept uh, out there and people need to keep saying their names. But I don't really tell like the bigger stories. I'm mostly telling stories that are smaller, you know, less covered, less coverage type of stories. So you kind of threw me a curveball this week because I always let the guests choose which case we're going to kind of chat about for a few minutes at the end of every episode. And I was kind of looking through your catalog of you know what cases we might talk about. And you said that you wanted to talk about the Anand Syed Heyman Lee murder right. case, uh, which we're going to do here in just a minute. But I'm curious, I haven't been through your entire catalog. Have you done any episodes on that case? I haven't. And so it's so funny. It's probably not funny to you, but I only realized last night that typically your guests who come on, I think you talk about cases they've actually covered on their podcast, right? For the most part, yeah. Yeah. So I, I did, <laughs> I'm like, here I am, you know, of course, you know, not really like, you know, doing my homework, but um, I didn't realize. So I was, I just, that case, and I, and I, you know, it's like, yes, this case has gotten so much coverage. But I can't help it that I am super passionate about this case. It's just, it is inside me as I know you are as well and many other people. And it's such a fascinating case that I do want to talk about because I do think (laughs) that I just, I'll just say, you know, justice has not been served in my strong opinion. And um, so I really do enjoy talking about the case and I think it needs to be continued to be talked about. Um, And yeah, I've covered, you know, 80 plus cases. But that's the first one that came to mind because it's just something, it's a passion inside me that, you know, I just feel like justice has not been served. And I think my mind is sort of geared toward that. Like if I had it to do all over again, maybe I would be a defense attorney, you know, for the wrongfully convicted, you know, or something like that, or or work on cold cases or something. Because when justice is not served, it's just, it's, I literally lose sleep over it. And I'm sure you have, you know, you, you have really sure. you know, dived deep into that case. So. So what you're going to have to do now is, you know, because we usually like we just kind of touch on the case and then we say, go listen to their podcast to get the right. full story. So now you're going to have to do we've got a we've got a few minutes to talk about it here. And now you're going to have to do a full episode on the Adan Syed Heyman Lee case right. on murderish now. Yes. So people can can get your full thoughts on it. I would love to, honestly. And I've thought about it and I've had listeners ask me. And for some reason, I've shied away from it because I'm like, gosh, what? What more can I bring? You know, this case has been so talked about, so, you know, publicized, and it's been covered by many different shows, but there's always something, a new perspective to be, to be put out there, I think, by individuals. And so, yeah, I actually would, would probably welcome the opportunity to cover it on my show. Yeah. So you should do that. The, the, the basic beats of the case, I'm certain 99.9% of the people listening to us know the basic beats of this, but we're, but, um, it was 1999, uh, Heyman Lee in, in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, Heyman Lee is talking to some friends. She seems distracted throughout the day, takes off, leaves school about 3 o'clock. And it's been a long time since I've talked about the case, so I'm, as I'm, I'm vaguely going skipping over details that I don't remember uh, like times. But around 3 o'clock, she leaves, leaves the school. Uh, she's supposed to pick up her cousin, I believe, at a, at a daycare that's just, just a few miles away. And when she doesn't show up there, the alarm bells are sounded. Her family calls the police. Um, she's not found for 28 days. She's a missing person. Uh, then uh, about 28 days later, a, a custodian from the, the school where she went to high school um, stops, wanders through a, a wooded area uh, to use the bathroom on his way home from his lunch break. 
and supposedly discovers a body there that's exhumed. Turns out it is Heyman Lee. She's been murdered. She had been strangled and then buried in the park. Uh, and then um, the long story short is then her boyfriend, Adnan Syed, is then arrested and convicted for the murder. Uh, and it went, like like most wrongful convictions, went unnoticed by the you know by the general population until Rabia Chowdhury, a family friend, kept pushing the case and pushing it and pushing it until she convinced Sarah Koenig to do a, a story on it, which became the Serial Podcast, which launched most of our careers. Uh, right. After that, and then um, and then I covered it on season one of Truth and Justice. The Undisclosed Team, who was Rabia's podcast, when after Sarah was over, felt like they, they there was there was not. It wasn't investigative enough. There were too many details missed. So Robbie gets together with Susan Simpson and Colin Miller, and they start the Undisclosed podcast to dig deeper into it. Uh, and since then, there's been an HBO documentary. I've been on a Discovery ID documentary on it. I've been on Nancy Grace's show talking about it. it, it it's there's books written. It's it's all over. There was a podcast about the podcast and podcast about podcasts that were about the podcast. Uh, yeah. Since then. In 2016, Adnan's conviction finally was overturned based uh, primarily on some information that Susan Simpson discovered on the Undisclosed team. And then then the case was appealed to the next highest level by the state who upheld the conviction being overturned. And then they appealed it up to the Maryland State Supreme Court, who then reversed the decision, not based on any material evidence, but because the argument used, the cell phone uh, argument used, uh, to get the conviction overturned, they said it was a time-barred argument because it wasn't brought up in an earlier appeal, so therefore they couldn't appeal it later. So then they, they reversed the decision, reinstated the conviction, um, again, which had no bearing on whether he was innocent or guilty. It was a, it was a, it was a, a clerical thing. Uh, and that's where we sit now. He's got, new, he's got attorneys that are still working on it. Rabia, I don't know if you do you follow Rabia on social media. Yes, yes, absolutely. She posted a few weeks ago that uh, there was big news in the case, and she's more positive than ever that that Adnan's coming home. I immediately text Robbie and tried to squeeze out of her what is going on, and she told me that she's not allowed to. Damn, <laughs> damn. Even, even on the <laughs> even on like the low low, I'm like Rob, Robbie, come on, because she like, knows you're not going to go and throw it out there to the public. But she's she's professional, and she's she's cares so deeply about this case that she's just yeah. like, I don't want to jack it up. Usually I can get her to be like, okay, well, just don't tell anybody, but, but whatever's going on right now, she's just like, no, all I can tell you is I'm very excited about it. I Ugh. really feel like he's going to be, he's going to, he's going to be going home. Um, but I just, I literally legally can right now can't tell you. I'm like, God, wow. Oh my gosh. I'm dying. I'm dying. As I'm sure so many people are. Like, I know that's what you tell other people, but it's me. Robbie. You're like, but it's me. It's Bob Ruff. Damn. And I was hoping she would tell you and then I could be that person. You're like, well, I'll tell you, but don't say anything. No, I'm just kidding. Right. But I, I you know, yeah, of course I, I'm. And for Rabia to say that, um, I think she's learned by now not to get overly excited when it's not warranted because we've right. she's been let down uh, mm -hmm. in a very big way. But for her to say that, that sounds very encouraging. Yeah. For those of us who are on this side of the case, there are others who probably are rolling their eyes and saying he's a murderer, leave it sure. alone, you know. Right, but fuck them, right? That's what I Fuck them, because they're wrong. Right, yeah. I'm sorry. And <laughs> I, I, I only, I, I say that because it's like, I, you said in your podcast, and I will never forget it. I, well, I say I'll never forget it, but I think you said, like at this point, based on all of the evidence, and it is evidence, 
that has been brought up, whether it's circumstantial or not, it is so strong to show that Adnan did not do this. Jay knows nothing about the case. Jen knows nothing. Jen had nothing to do with it. That you are those who still believe that Adnan did it. You're, I think you said, willfully ignorant or woefully ignorant. Willfully ignorant. Willfully ignorant. And I thought it stuck with me because you hit the nail right on the head is that there's this thing in people that they they get their mind set, kind of like the Scott Peterson case. I, I feel the same way. It's like, dude, the evidence is so strong that he did it. You know, we don't need the smoking gun. Look at that stack of circumstantial evidence that points right at him. And in Adnan's case, it's like, gosh, at this point, if you still believe that he's a killer, I just feel like you are willfully ignorant. You're just willing to ignore the evidence that's very clear and right in front of you. And it is strong. I mean, it's not one or two things. And to be clear, my, my feeling on that is not necessarily like, if you still believe he's guilty, that you're like like being willfully ignorant. It's if you're still sure he's guilty. For someone that can look at this case and all the evidence and be like, nope, I know with 100% certainty he's guilty. Like, that's bullshit. Like, that is bullshit. Like, I mean, certainly you can look at the evidence and, and, and your opinion could be, I think that probably he is. I don't have a problem. And I was, I, I was only half joking when I said, fuck those people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I get it, though. I get it. Well, I'm just right now, honestly, like I'm on a, I'm on a, from my, from truth and justice, like I go through, it's just, you know, working in, in wrongful convictions just causes so much controversy and there's so much hammering that goes back and forth. And I tell Robbie all the time that I was, I'm like, I envy you so much because Robbie is just like, fuck you. And I'm like, and I'm always like, no, like I totally understand what you're saying and I understand why you feel that way. Yes. And then people are like personally attacking me. I'm like, it's fine. It doesn't bother me at all. I. Yeah. And then at some point I hit a boiling point where I'm like, listen, you know what? Stop fucking listening. That's it. Just right. If you don't like what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, I don't need you to make four page long Facebook posts to tell people uh, how you don't like what I'm doing. Just the exactly. door's right over there. Yeah. Get out. Stop listening. Yeah. <laughs> but to be but clear, no, I don't I, feel that yeah. way about people who, you know, believe a non could be guilty. Certainly. And that's and that's that's with any case. But it's like when somebody when somebody can it's like the West Memphis three case is another yes, one. Yes, yes. When people can look at that case and say a hundred percent sure, like you're ridiculous. A hundred percent sure they're guilty. I'm like, Bullshit. you're out of your fucking mind, and you and you can't possibly believe that. You can't, based on what has been presented. You cannot believe that. Now you are just being ignorant. And I'm glad you made that distinction when we say that you know people are being willfully ignorant about the Adnan side case. I'm not calling you stupid. You I, not at all. I'm saying, like you said. There are people, and I totally respect if you're like, you know, I think he probably did it. uh, However, this, this, and this. But to the people that are like, no, 100%, he 100% Adnan's a killer. 100%, you know, Scott Peterson's not a killer. 100% West Memphis 3, you know, they did it. It's like, no, bullshit, because you are ignoring what is right in front of you. There is so much that has been presented to show you that Adnan did not do it. And the, and the reason I chose the words willfully ignorant is because, like, they're literally unwilling to consider, and, and, and the, the real term, I guess, would be cognitive dissonance, but the, the people that are unwilling to consider any information or evidence that contradicts their foregone theory. Like, I've already decided yes. that Ednon's guilty, so I'm not going right. to hear any of this. And then, and again, to hang on with the circuit, I'm not certain. I yeah. I 100% believe that Anand Syed 
Agreed. is innocent. Yes. But I'm still but you willing don't know. to hear. Yeah, I don't know for sure. I'm still willing to hear right. more information. I'm willing to have a discussion or a debate with somebody that feels the other way. Right. But, it, but it's just, you know, I'm just, it, it, it's weird. This is this is uh, interesting timing that we talk about this because I'm, I'm really like in this arc of my like career right now where I'm just, I was just talking with my wife about it last night because I'm just getting really fed up with a lot of the bullshit that goes on around. It and just comes with lot. the territory. I should, I'm not yes. complaining about it. It's what I signed up for. But I was like, you know, at some point, like, I just got to, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to be me. You know what? Me is irritated with you saying this stupid shit mm-hmm. about me. When, you know, because when people will, you know, make all these assumptions about me and all that. Yeah. Um, and for years, I've just been like, well, I'll just keep quiet because I got to be, I got to be neutral. It's like, no, I'm not going to be anymore. Like, if I feel no. like telling you to fuck off, I'm going to tell you to fuck off. Works for Robbie. Absolutely. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> I, I respect the shit out of her because that girl doesn't play and she she mm-hmm. is a pit bull. And I have seen, as you have seen, people have come down so freaking hard on her. And it is mm-hmm. really shitty to sit there and say things like, you know, oh, she's just in it for the money and, and she's just trying to profit off of Hay's death. Are you kidding me? This woman has been passionate about this case from the very get-go. She is the reason that this case has been brought to light. And the way I see it is people get mad and they say, you know, um, you're upsetting Hayes family and you are just let let it let it lie. You know, the right man's in prison, let it lie. Justice has been served. But but the way I see it, because I feel so strongly that Adnan did not do it, which means justice was not served, that mm-hmm. I feel like we are doing hey justice. Not I say we, but Rabia, you, mm-hmm. the people, Justin Brown, you know, who are really working to free Adnan is actually bringing justice to Hay because based on everything that we have seen and that's been presented, it is so easy to see. It's so clear to see in my mind that they've got the wrong guy in prison and that's not justice for Hay. That is not every day that he sits in prison is another day that the actual real killer is out there. And if Hay could see what's going on now, you know, uh, if Adnan did not do it, I mean, what would she be feeling? She, she would, certainly want the right person to be in prison for what they did to her. And it's awful that Hayes' family has to relive this. It's absolutely awful. And my empathy and deepest sympathies are with them. But it's a painful process, but but also Adnan is a human being. And his family are human beings, and they have suffered a great loss. And I know people say, well, he's still alive. It's so easy to say that, but have you actually had a close loved one be ripped from your home at the age of 17 and locked up for decades for something that they strongly believe he did not do. It's awful. It has totally aged his parents and broken their hearts forever. So we have to also have empathy for his family. And it's that you don't need to, people want to compare the two. Well, Hayes' family suffered the most. They lost their daughter. I agree with you. I don't know what that feels like, but I can imagine it is a, the worst nightmare a parent can live through. And I have so much empathy for them. But, y- you know, what about Adnan's family too? It's not like we have to compare their, their pain is worse than theirs. They are both families who are experiencing the deepest pain that I cannot imagine because I have not been through it. So I have empathy for Adnan's family as well. I really do. Whether he's a killer or not, I have deep empathy for them because they are totally innocent. Um, but of course, I happen to believe he's not a killer which makes it that much worse. But people kind of want to pit the two people two against each other. And they want to, I think they want to deflect and say, 
oh, why are, Rabia, you're such an evil person. You know, you're putting <clears throat> Hay's family through this all over again. But she's really, I think, fighting on behalf of Hay, not just Adnan. Right. She's trying to get justice for Hay because justice has not been served. And I think that's what Hay would want. And that's it. It's a tough, you know, working in the same kind of vein as Rabia, like I do with Truth and Justice. It's, it's that ethical line. It's why if anybody listened to the Josh Hallmark episode of True Crime Bins, like I was so I wanted to have that conversation with him because he touched on the ethics involved in the decisions that we make in reporting. Because what I've experienced is in most cases, the family members of the victims don't particularly want an investigation, even if there's some stuff pointed to pretty clearly that they didn't do it. Right. It's hard. It's it's hard to be the person reporting on it because like I know because I'm on the outside of it. I can look like and I've seen it over and over again where for a victim's family member to say, you know what, maybe they got the wrong person. Let's find out who did it for them. That means they have to undo. Yes. The levels, the, the different levels and stages of grief that they've gone through to get to a point where they can finally move on with their life. In their mind, they have to accept that the person that was punished for this was the right person so I can be done with it. So it, it is such – and I've had some family members, if some of my cases, come around and, and be interested in what's going on. It's part of the reason why Ed Aids is free right now because some of the family members, when he finally came up for his parole, and they, you know, that's usually when they tell them why they don't want him to get out, mm-hmm. finally said, you know what, I, it's okay. It's okay if he wow. gets out. but. It's it's so hard for to tell someone that okay, well, I need you to do is you in order for me to continue this investigation and for you to be following it, you have to accept that the wrong person is in jail, which means your loved one has not received justice yet, and there's a whole other process to come with this, and it's just there's a wall there, but yes. at the same time, like again, like you said, you can't measure the hurt, you can't measure no. the pain, and be like, well. Yeah, their daughter is dead and Anon is alive, but, you know, Anon's family lost their, and not to mention Adnan. Let's say, let's say for argument, if he's innocent, if he genuinely had nothing to do, which I believe he had nothing but love and adoration for Heyman Lee. Agreed. And and if that's true, and we don't have to say that it is, but if it is. If it is. Then he has spent his entire adult life locked away in prison for something like like to to me the fact that it upsets the feelings of these people here who are entitled to those feelings yes it doesn't negate yes his and it does and, and, it, and it's not okay to say i'm sorry you now have to suffer for the rest of your life because we don't want to upset these people but it's also why i have such a very long detailed screening processes for cases because i don't want to put families through that and then find out that you know you know what actually that is the right person yeah and and let's move on i've had i've had a case where i thought i'm still to this day at the end of it not sure if the person is innocent or guilty um she ended up dying in prison of covid last year during it was kind of what what launched true crime binges but that was the one case that i've done where i was in and i was honest with my audience about it's like i i don't know about this one. And and it, mm. and that's part of the reason why after she passed away, I was like, I don't even want to continue through this anymore. I don't want to continue putting any more victims' families through this process because I don't know where it's going to go. And at this point, we're not helping anyone um, to pull the plug. Where there were other cases where if I'd been in that scenario, 
Adnan's case, for example, if something happened mm-hmm. in Adnan died in prison, I would keep going with that fight because I thoroughly yes. believe that Heyman Lee's killer is still out there. Right. There's still more work to do. It's, it's mm-hmm. you know, you, you can take Adnan completely out of it. And if you firmly believe that he didn't do it, which, which you and I do and many other people do, um, there's work to do. Who's the real killer? There's still, you know, we've got to get real justice. Right. So, and you're, you're absolutely right. And I agree with you. It's such a, it's such a hard thing. I know that Hayes family has to be suffering and it has been for years. And to dredge all this up again is dredging up emotions in them that are very, very, very heavy. But there's another family and other human beings who, who deserve the same empathy and deserve and deserve to know what really happened. And, and it's just, it's very hard, but you're right. It doesn't negate that there's this, there's still work to be done on this case. And I know this family suffering over here and there really isn't anything that we can do about that. You can only hope that in the end, we are actually, I say we, but his legal team, that we're actually able to get true justice in this case and, and let them see what really happened and put the right person in prison. I hope that happens. And again, I don't know. I can't say with 100% certainty that Adnan did not do it, but I firmly believe that he didn't. And I would hope that there's a day when we could find out who really did do it and the family, Hayes family, can, can see that. But it's just, it's painful on both ends. It's so hard. But I am very disturbed by the hate that people like you receive for, you know, fighting for Adnan and, and people like Rabia. I see what goes on on Reddit. I try to, I get these alerts. I don't really go on Reddit, but I get these <laughs> alerts and it's like, oh my God, why am I even subscribed to this? Um, it, it, it sucks. Uh, I, I think Rabia is a very good person. She's a mother. She's an advocate. She, she's a friend. She's an auntie. Like she just, it's, it, it's not deserved what comes her way. But I also know that she has people who look at her like a hero, which I truly think she is. And I don't think that's too strong of a word for all the work that she's put in to this case and for Adnan uh, and all the evidence that she's helped to bring to light. I do think she's a hero. Not everybody has that DNA within them who can do the work that she's done. And I, I'm definitely in awe of her. For Through it. the adversity that she has, you know, besides Reddit, I mean, even with her own, within her own faith and community, like there's, there's just a whole lot that has been working against her. And she's just, as, as uh, I, and I mean this in the most respectful way possible, she is a bad bitch. She's a bad bitch. At, at, yeah. She's a badass. I mean, I yeah. love a female badass. I've said it a million yep. times on my show. Like, I, I just, I'm like, go, go girl. And I love that Susan, is it Susan Simpson? Her mm-hmm. name, right? Yep. Her too. Holy oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, these women are just kicking ass and taking names and like, they, it, and it's not just, um, it's so clear that Susan is so methodical in her thinking of the case. She doesn't have a dog in the fight, right? She's not right. related to Adnan. She didn't know him before, but she's just looking at it like the state's case is bullshit. And she's been able to literally tear it apart. I mean, they, it's just been torn apart. I, I, I can tell you from, I've spent lots and lots of time with Susan and Colin and Rabia in person talking about the case, not talking about the case. And, and, and I, I don't, I don't believe that Susan has any or Colin for that matter have any emotional attachment to that case whatsoever, which is what makes what they do so powerful. Yes. Like Susan, it's, it would, it would almost seem to me that, and I, and I'm not speaking for Susan, but just it, it would almost seem to me that 
if at the end of this, Adnan is exonerated, that Susan would want to go shake his hand, maybe give him a hug, and then move on to the next case. I Whereas, totally, like, Rabia yes. would be sobbing at, you know, and Pete and I would be sobbing, and you would be sobbing. Like, she's just yes. like, no, my job is to figure out that there was, if, if there was an injustice, and how to correct it, and that's what I'm doing. It's not about Adnan for her. Right. Uh, and and, and, and I agree with you too. on that. You know her. I don't know her at all. I've never met her, but, um, or Colin. But the way that they come off in everything that I've seen and heard of them, totally like you said, they don't come off as, oh, we love Adnan and we just want to hug and kiss him and, you know, take him to dinner afterward. You know, once we free him from prison, it's like, no, they, they would, like you said, they would move on to the next and do that same work for another case. They are very just um, methodical and rational about it. Uh, and right. I don't think that they've fallen in love with Adnan, you know, like they're just no, not at all. No, they just see they see it for what it is. And there is absolutely not a shred of evidence that would be enough to say that Adnan did it. However, there's all this evidence that exists that shows that he pretty clearly did not do it. And, and to go a step further, that Jay knows nothing about the case. It right. just seems so clear to me. But other people, are, you, all, you always see it. But what about Jay? Well, how do you know where the, 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 he pointed the police to the car? Nah, no, and they didn't. just... He did not. <laughs> he did not. The car wasn't sitting there for six weeks. Yeah. It was freshly parked there, and they've shown that. Um, and the police, you know, put it there, I, I would imagine, I don't know, uh, and, and told Jay. You know, they fed him the red glove information. It was just so clear when you listen to him that he was coached. And they, they even say things like, um, when you pulled up to the park, was it Woodlawn Park or what's it called? Uh uh, Leakin Park. Leakin Park or the body, yeah. Yeah, the body farm? Yeah, when you pulled up to Leakin Park, like, what did you observe? Were there concrete barriers? Oh, yeah, yeah, there, there's concrete barriers. So they say, like, were there concrete barriers? He's like, oh, yeah, there were concrete barriers. Sure enough, there were concrete barriers leading to the wooded area. Right. I mean, that's just one example. Um, and then all of a sudden, they find the, you know, the red fibers next to her body. Oh, and now Jay comes in for a second interview, and now all of a sudden, Adnan's wearing red gloves. Right. You know, it just, it's crazy. And, and, and how anybody could continue to hinge their opinion on Jay after all we know of him lying and changing his story, not just in the aftermath in interviews that he's done, he's, he's changed his story. Also during interrogations, his story changed. Also during trial, he admitted to lies and changing mm -hmm. his story. And it was just mind-blowing to listen to, I guess it was on Undisclosed, the knocks, the taps, you know, oh, in yeah. the investigation. Yep. And then you listen to it, and it's like, it's so obvious that he goes off track, uh, and, uh, and then you hear a knock, and he's, oh, yeah, um, yeah, this, that, you know, and then he gives the right information. Right. Um, and there's the whole aspect of, you know, there was the three hours they spoke with him off record, and then they hit record what happened in those three hours. but. If you really look at the basics of the case, too, everybody's like, well, Adnan, he's clearly lying because he has no clue where he was or what he was doing. And it's like Adnan actually has three alibi witnesses, right? right. He has Asia McLean, who's never changed her story. And she's like, look, I know that I was in the library with him. She even wrote him the letter. She testified. There's all these things to show that she is actually telling the truth. He had Coach Sai, who remembered that he wasn't, he was at track practice that right. day. And then you also have somebody, I forgot who, who saw Adnan in the admin office 
after right after school. It was De- Debbie, I think, one of the Debbie, I think, yeah. saw. And then there's also, uh, so there's three right there. Also, everybody remembers Adnan being at Ramadan, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I think around the time they were supposedly maybe burying the body. Right. He was at Ramadan. And then you have one of Hay's very close friends was, I think it's Debbie, the one who also had the seven-hour conversation with Don. Right, yeah. Debbie is the one who says she saw Hay leaving in a rush after school and Adnan was not with her. Right. She left alone. This th- That case, and, and I'm going to wrap this up here in just a minute, sure. but it was like, it's the most clear Occam's razor case I've ever seen of anyone that I've ever looked at. Yeah. It's, you know, if you take away all the, the bullshit manipulating the police did, but it was like very simply, we know where Adnan was. There's plenty of witnesses that, that say where he was. Hey, told people where she was, who she was going to go see. Yes. And then she went to, you know, she, she says, I'm leaving to go see Don. And then right. she leaves and then she ends up dead. And it's like, who did it? Oh, it must have been the guy that was at track practice. And that's, yes. you know. Instead of, the, like you said, like the most obvious uh, answer is the most obvious circuit set of circumstances is usually like the correct answer. But right. they, I'm just not saying that Don did it, but they should have right. fucking looked into Don. They should have more yes. than they did. Then, you know, they, they look past the, the, the time car or, you know, the, 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 the manager just saying that he was there right. that day, dig a little deeper like they did with a Don. It warranted more. It's just amazing. It's one of those things where it's like if you take all the all, all the the zeitgeist away from all this and just look at the basics of the case, it's like, oh, there's multiple witnesses that said that she was going to see her boyfriend, Don. Yes. So maybe we should look into him. Right. And, and you're exactly right. None of us can say, and it's, I wish I could say with 100% certainty or feel just as strongly that as I do about Adnan not doing that, that this guy over here, the actual current boyfriend, Don did it. But I can't get to that conclusion because he wasn't investigated. There's not enough for me to review to say, oh, yeah, this guy did it. But what I will say, and I'm sure you feel the same, is that he needs to be looked at. And it's not an attack on Don for any particular reason. It's that he was the current boyfriend. She said she was going to see him. He, We all know now that he lied about his timesheet. Why did he do that? And also... The police tried to contact him when he got home, supposedly from work that day, but now we know he wasn't at work. He got home in the evening and didn't call the, when detectives call and they want to talk to you about your missing girlfriend, he got the message, he says, when he got home from work around 5 or 6 p.m., but he didn't call them back until 1.30 in the morning, which is a very odd time to call detectives back. And of course, I'm wondering, what was he doing during that time? And just to go a step further, it's like, was he burying a body during that time? I don't know. And I'm not saying that he did. I just, these questions circle in my mind because he, he should be looked at just like Adnan was. We're not picking on Don. Adnan was investigated. Don was the current boyfriend. And there's these other odd circumstances, you know, surrounding him that kind of don't add up. So let's look at it. But I can't say that he did it because unfortunately he wasn't investigated. Right. So. And so with that, you now have to commit to doing an episode on Adnan and Hayes' case on Murderish. All right. And so listeners, sometime very soon, you'll be able to listen to that. Her name is Jamie Rice. The podcast is called Murderish. Check it out. There's over 80 episodes to binge on, and it will most certainly be one of your next big true crime binges. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me, Bob. So good to meet you. Cheers.
Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening, and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.